Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I really hope Thim cut out the part about murder at the start of this recording. Speaking of oh, murder, I'm like going the, to. The, whole, the, the whole Adrian Hernandez documentary, did you guys watch it? Uh, wow, we're jumping right in here on Off Track. We have really gone off track already. And yes, I did no, watch seriously, it. No, seriously, this is like a current event like thing. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, topical. It's not current anymore, but yeah, so... Do you think it was uh, CTE or do you think it was like his closeted emotional baggage? A uh, little bit of column A, a little bit or, of column B. Or, or, yeah. or none. Do you no, think I, he was I, just a psychopath? I think it's probably a little bit of both maybe. Um, hmm. The fact that the doctor said that for a 27-year-old, his like the degree of CTE he had was like terrifying. And we know... By we, I mean, like, actual professionals and doctors know that, you know, it does cause massive mood swings and irrational behavior and things like that. So, I mean, I think between playing football his whole life and from what it sounds like getting the crap beaten out of him by his dad when he was a kid, it, yeah, his head probably had taken a few hits. And I imagine that did play a part in it. Yeah, just as a Patriots fan, it was very sad and interesting to kind of watch that three episode story of it because like obviously when it was happening like you didn't know any of the detail of what was going on so to kind of see the whole story come into play was uh pretty eye-opening terrifying the the thing for yeah the the thing that like really kind of struck me was um when they showed that clip of that interview with a couple of the patriots and and the guy asks you know a question to gronk about it and kind of just Gronk's reaction to it. And obviously, like, that's a guy that he was side-by-side with, you know, for years. And while these things were happening, you know, in the background, and he was obviously very, very emotional about it. But it's just it's just interesting to think that, you know, he could have been doing these things in his, in his, in his downtime, but then still showing up to work and still performing. Like, imagine, imagine you found out that, like, Hunter Ray had like murdered a couple people, you know, over the last no, three years. Exactly. Like it's, can we no, it's, it's guys, I, I know this is a very serious topic, but can we start that rumor? <laughs> <laughs> can we just, you heard it here first. Ryan Hunter Ray kills people in his leisure time. Well, that's why he goes fishing a lot. He's just throwing them off the boat and getting rid of the bodies. That's <laughs> good cover. I, I only, I only picked Ryan cause like he was a teammate. And so it was, you know, I was trying to go that way. I would have volunteered myself, but it yeah. seemed more fitting to pick a teammate and you know, he's got a boat that he can dispose of bodies easily with. Speaking of being teammates well, with Ryan Hunter, Ray, James, do you have something you want to share? Hey, hey yeah. Uh, Ryan Hunter Ray and I did a charity event last week. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, we did do that, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm back, back on the squad guys, back with Andretti Autosport for a three race deal, the GP, uh, at Indy, the 500 and, uh, the Genesis 600. We just announced, 
uh, down at Texas Motor Speedway Media Day. So Genesis on board for all three races and uh, and actually going to be the title sponsor of the race in Texas. Back at Andretti, teammates with my, my podcasting buddy. And uh, Ryan, Marco, Zach, Colton, kind of Jack again. The list goes on. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the the true powerhouse team. If we're talking pure numbers, it's, it's honestly at this point it seems ridiculous that I don't have a ride with Andretti. It's weird. You're one of the only people that doesn't. <laughs> I, I feel like the reason they didn't choose you, Tim, um, is because of your lack of ability to uh, do uh, anything. Look, I'm not saying I don't get it, but it still hurts. <laughs> kind of like getting passed up for the the Disney CEO thing. Yeah, again. All right. Well, this actually the whole Genesis thing brings brings up what I was hoping we could talk about today. Because James, you have the most successful slid in the DM story ever. They they went from going DMing you on social media to now sponsoring you and a race. But uh, I I just kind of wanted to talk about your guys' relationship with sponsors kind of broadly. So uh, Alex with with Napa, James, you with Genesis, but more coming up through the ranks, through karting, through the feeder series, what your guys' relationship with sponsors has been. That and what is Genesis? (laughs) Okay, so we'll start Uh, there. Is that the Peter Gabriel thing? Uh, No, Uh, Phil Collins. No, it's the book of the Bible. (laughs) Oh, man. So many things, all spelt wrong. Uh, no, Genesis is a uh, it's a it's a, a customer service uh, software company. So they uh, all cloud based. You know, they kind of use uh, AI and and develop software for companies with with call centers and and big customer service programs to kind of help streamline that uh, that process and and make it better for the customer. So um, they have an incredible number of clients already. I guarantee you, you've called into a call center in your life that has. Uh, has been powered by Genesis software and they want to grow the company. They want to grow the brand awareness because obviously a lot of people have used the product and don't even realize they have. So we're going to try to change that by uh, making some noise in the IndyCar world, which is kind of exciting. All okay. right. Cool. That's, yes. So would <laughs> I have used Genesis? No. Uh, have you ever called into a call center for like anything? Yes. And, and I then turned it off and turned it back on again. <laughs> <laughs> have you unplugged it and plugged it back in again? Yeah, no. So there's there's a good so it's things like um, so like here's here's a great example. They they worked with a company that was one of these sort of like uh, pre done meal delivery services, right? And yeah. if if they built a software that if they were if they'd received a bunch of complaints about a certain call it like a batch of chicken, right, that had gone out and a few customers had called and said there was some issue with it, right? When you called in to the call center to complain about your bad chicken meal, the computer would uh, pick up your phone number, they would access your account information, they would see that you had ordered chicken in the last sort of 48 hours and it came from the batch that they had established had a problem, and it auto-credited your account 25 bucks all before the person had even picked up on the other end of the phone. So by the time the person picks up and the customer wants to, you know, complain about their issue, they can say, oh, hey, Mr. Rossi, are you calling about your chicken order? We saw that you ordered a dish and there was an issue with it. Uh, we're aware of the problem and you've already been credited $25 in your account. Sorry for the hassle. We'll send you another free chicken as well. You know, so it's just to kind of make the whole process of calling in a little a little easier for both sides of the party, but obviously, you know, specifically for the customer. Got it. It's magic. 
Understood. It's basically magic. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that's uh, yeah the, the story of how it started. It's just kind of funny with uh, sliding in, sliding in with DMs on Instagram, and uh, and asking kind of how IndyCar sponsorship works. And like you, I mean, you know, Alex, that's not ever how this works. Uh, but amazingly, I I replied with a little bit of a an overview of how it usually goes down and. The guy said, all right, let me run this up to my CMO, and he did, and I expected to never hear from him again, and I heard from him again, and it sort of got the ball rolling. So it was uh, kind of a cool uh, kind of a cool development. And actually, there's a great story tied to this. You guys will appreciate this. So we did the press conference, right, announcing the Andretti partnership, and we go out to lunch afterwards, and I'm sitting with uh, a guy named Nick who's uh, – he runs all the digital and, and social for Genesis, and – while we're sitting at lunch, and obviously during the press conference, we you know we told the story of the the DM action and all the rest of it. While at lunch, the Genesis official Instagram account gets a DM from uh, the official account of the Pelicans NBA team, and the message said, "Shooters got to shoot." What do you think of our jersey patch? And then it had a photo of Zion with the Genesis logo, you know, put on the jersey that like the one spot on jersey you can sell in the NBA. And we're sitting there at lunch and we're like, man, that's awesome. Somebody from the Pelicans marketing department or sales department somehow was paying attention to our press conference, read the story and like took a chance. The shooters got to shoot and, and threw out a DM like pitch to sponsor the Pelicans. So are they? The, the, the senior vice president of marketing told the guy to reply with, you know, like your style, how much? So they, I know they are at least having a conversation about it. <laughs> Tim, it seems like you should hit them up for just, you know. Yeah, okay. was, do they want to sponsor a podcast was, or just my life I was in just going to, I was going to follow this up with you if you're listening to this. Please do not now DM Genesis asking for money. It only it worked once. It was clever once, but this does not mean that everybody should now be like Alex is sitting there on his phone right now DMing Genesis. Hey, how about a PSA with Alexander Rossi? Yeah, correct. It's already sent. <laughs> so, Alex, tell me about sponsorship as a kid. Um, well, that's a very long-winded uh, answer. So I'm going to try my best to keep it concise um so started out the whole process and kind of could make it all the way through the skip barber ranks um off of my my parents support so all through carding and, and skip barber um and then it got to the point where once the budgets for formula bmw were kind of in the two to three hundred thousand dollar range um you know my family could no longer kind of do that uh so we started trying to figure out how to raise the money. And believe it or not, um, not much of corporate America has any interest in uh, sponsoring a 14-year-old to go drive in Formula BMW for $300,000. Or so, or really anything else below the professional level. But yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, correct. Like, n- none of it whatsoever. And really, even at the professional level. <laughs> it's, it's still a challenge at the professional level. That is true. It's still pretty difficult. So... Um, that obviously was something that we learned very quickly. And, you know, I, a lot of drivers kind of do this in, in one way or another. I know, James, you kind of did in a way. I know Ryan has as well. Um, Sebastian Vettel did it. Uh, so we, we kind of created a, an investment program um, to where investors could buy uh, units or shares. And then, you know, 
assuming that I at one point got to the professional level, whether that be an IndyCar or Formula One or NASCAR or sports cars or whatever, and started getting a paycheck, um, they would start to get a percentage of the kind of return and, and their ROI would start trickling in over, over a set period of time. So uh, that kind of came into effect in 2007 and the investment program kind of got me all the way through 2012. Um, when I was fortunate enough that, that the Caterham or Lotus F1 team, whatever it was at the time, uh, kind of started paying for, for my racing. And um, it's a lot of people don't know, but there's kind of three stages of racing. So there's the, the part where you have to pay to race. And then some guys get to the point, and it's really hard to get to this point, but you can race for free. Um, and then a, an even smaller, insane percentage gets to the point where they're actually getting a a paycheck to drive. So, um, you know, 13 was kind of the, the time where I was able to, to drive for free and kind of just had to find the, the off track expenses and living expenses to, to kind of go do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was a cool story because the way that we, we kind of sourced the investors was when I started in go-karts, uh, my dad actually started racing in what was called a Jim, the Jim Russell racing school, which was right. based at at Infineon or Sears Point or whatever it's called now in Sonoma. And, um, you know, he would do that a couple times a month. And who was he racing with? He was racing with a bunch of pretty wealthy dudes who loved racing. And so he kind of developed friendships and relationships with those guys. And when we started this investment program, he kind of just called them up. And um, there's three main guys um, that are still go to races to this day. Um, one of the guys um, has been to virtually every race and every test that I've ever done. And he owns the Alaska Coffee Roasting Company, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen and wondered what that is. Um, so that's kind of one of the main investors. And then another guy in New York, uh, who's a, a real estate developer. And then another guy in California, who's a doctor. So these were all relationships that came through uh, my dad's very short amateur racing career and, um, they've all become very good friends and in some ways father figures and have been with us since 2007 so it's a uh, it's pretty cool to to kind of be able to share in the journey um, with people like that so that's kind of my story um the, the the commercial side of it from actual corporations we never really had much luck with so um my napa deal that that really had nothing to do with me. Um, that was a, a last minute Michael Andretti scenario, which he's getting pretty good at these days, <laughs> uh, putting deals together quickly. And um, yeah, that's obviously turned into something much bigger, which is, which is amazing. And, and that I'll save that story for another time. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's kind of one of those things where it was right place, right time. And, and we were just fortunate enough to, to have it all come together. So that's the shortest I can make that answer. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's it's a it's a complicated answer because it's it's always it's a complicated story for everybody, right? I mean, you, right. you touched on it the the value for a sponsor in the levels below, you know, the pros is non existent. You know, those series aren't on TV. There's not a lot of you know B two B connections that can be made at that point. There's just there's not a lot of ROI available, um, and the the expense is still pretty pretty friggin big you know when you're looking at a, right. a lights budget is somewhere in the like eight hundred thousand to a million dollar range trying to find that kind of money out of a corporation like they're gonna want something back for it 
And it's, well, it's just tough to do. want something back for it. To, to get the needle to move, you might have one guy on board, but that's, that's fine. But I mean, with a business like that, it's got to go through four or five different layers. And surely and there's going to be someone in there that, that thinks racing's stupid or doesn't see any value in it, which there might not be, right? But there's one guy that kind of has a passion project for it. But ultimately, he's not enough to get it across the line. So you got to have and find someone that really the entire company loves racing and hasn't already been snuffed out by some other team or driver. It definitely, it definitely, in my experience, seems like you have to have a champion within the company, right? There has to at least be somebody sort of in the executive level, a C-level employee that is a, is a race fan. They get it. They understand the sport. Even if they've never been involved in the sponsorship side before, they understand the appeal of motorsport. And then once you educate them on what the sport actually does bring from a sponsorship standpoint, I think then it's a lot easier for the other people that aren't necessarily racing people to to see the the business value but it usually takes that one champion to really push the idea through because people default to the things they know sponsoring golf and sponsoring tennis and sponsoring hockey and things like that well the, yeah i mean the perfect example of that's the appetite right so, so sorry no that was me guys shut up yeah it wasn't me yeah I don't know what you're, there's nothing even to bark at. Shut up. Come here. You were saying? So yeah, James, that's actually, uh, the Napa deal is kind of a perfect example of that. So the deal gets put together. We win the 500 somehow. And that was it. Like that was the end of, it was a single race kind of one-off deal. And it got pushed down to to, to corporate in Atlanta. Um, and they were like, uh, no, that we're, we're done. That's it. Like we sponsor NASCAR. We sponsor NHRA. We love it. We're kind of our, our motorsports budget is set there. And like these were people that have been involved in motorsports since like the beginning of motorsports. Right. And so we didn't have to educate them on, on, on racing, but they had no clue about IndyCar. So even though they had been involved forever, we had to like take the process to tell them that IndyCar is actually kind of where it's at these days, what's kind of growing the most, what has the most excitement and, and kind of um, energy behind it. And a motorsport company took like almost one or two years to finally commit to like actually getting fully behind IndyCar. Um, and that's just trying to educate someone on a series. So it's, uh, it's pretty wild out there. That's, that's actually what's, what's been so crazy about the, the Genesis deal is, you know, Obviously, with everything happening, you know, at the tail end of uh, of 2019 with me, I was really up against it time-wise. Guys, shut up. And the, you know, as you said, Alex, I mean, it takes even, even knowledgeable companies, you know, it's quite a bit of time to understand the benefits of the, of the program, to really buy into it. We, I think we were, November 16th was first contact and, and January 16th, we announced a deal. So for a company brand new to, I mean, really sporting endeavors in general, they hadn't really branched out into any sort of, you know, sports arena for them in two months, a company that size, you know, with uh, a board that has to approve everything and all the rest of it to buy into the program and, and sign up that quickly was just unbelievably impressive. So Tons of, tons of credit to everybody involved on the Genesis side. But the other thing that I think is important to take out of that is it shows the... Shut up, guys. 
<laughs> the other thing I think is important to take out of that is it shows the value in IndyCar. You know, a, a company of that size that was new to it could see the benefits and and see the value that quickly that they could turn around and you know unleash a, a pretty a pretty sizable uh, spend on uh, on the series. So uh, that that for me was a big indicator and a really positive indicator for where IndyCar's at and, and where it's headed. Go us! Yeah, we're just killing it, guys. <laughs> you guys are killing it. So uh, I, I remember I, I talked to uh, PJ Chesson, weirdly enough, about this. Because I, oh, I oh jokingly boy. brought up uh, what what his advice would be for me if uh, if my daughter ever wanted to get into racing. And he said, uh, don't. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> beyond, beyond that, uh, what would you guys say to, if somebody's listening here who's, say, a teenager trying to get into racing or somebody has a, a young child that wants to get into racing – what would your advice be for that, you know, young boy or girl trying to make it in this sport? I have a really, really good um, golf coach in Arizona that I would highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I got a good tennis coach in Canada. No, on- honestly, and I think I think Alex will uh, will back me up on this. the The best advice I was ever given. Uh, is the advice that I now give to anybody, any any young driver that that asked me that question, and it's it sounds too simple and it sounds almost cliche, but it is it is the only advice that is I think universally true when when trying to make it in this business, and that's don't give up. It's a it's a cruel, difficult, uh, annoying, frustrating business, but it's the drivers that just keep pushing and through all the no's don't lose motivation and keep making phone calls and keep putting themselves in positions to get recognized or get noticed or be given an opportunity that when one of those rare opportunities does come up, they're front of mind and, and they get that chance, you know, and there's a, a ton of examples in my career where I got an opportunity because I was kind of the last man standing in a lot of ways. I just wanted it more. So, you know, persevere, don't give up, keep the faith, keep fighting. And then hopefully that opportunity comes up for you. Uh, yeah. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Well, then don't try. Have said it right, do you want to try anyways? Um, <laughs> nope. Hard no. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty close to my word limit for the day, guys. So. Yeah. Plus, he's still got like half of his lunch to eat. <laughs> what advice would you give, right. Tim? I mean, you're pretty close to the sport. Um, be Peter Rossi's son. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Well, actually, Tim, my dad is starting a uh, young driver management business he already has he's been kind of doing it the past couple years under the radar anyways he's got a couple guys so um if there's any young drivers listening to this and they need some direction uh hit us up be happy to to help or he would rather um i will also be happy to help at times but mostly him (laughs) (laughs) all right oh and then uh one last thing to touch on uh james was announced today that you're joining the NBC broadcast team for this season. So uh, do you want to go into that at all? Or are you going to give Wait, us some shout-outs on the air so we can get some listeners? Yeah. Was it I saw it on Twitter today. I, uh, I certainly am going to be uh, going to be pushing off track with Hinch and Rossi at every public <laughs> opportunity that I can. Yeah, no. Uh, today we announced that uh, for quite a few of the IndyCar races, I will be part of the NBC broadcast team, which is very exciting. 
Um, you know, I've, I've always kind of, I've actually had some really cool opportunities to do some stuff on the, on the broadcasting and commentating side in my career through various, you know, opportunities in Champ Car and A1GP and, and whatever. I even called uh, the 2010 Indy 500 for the IMS radio network. So I've, I've had some cool opportunities and always something I wanted to explore, you know, when the driving was, uh, was done. Uh, that's not, that's not anytime soon, but in the, the circumstances of this year and my gap years, I like to call it, uh, I got a bit of free time and I'm going to be at the races. So why not, uh, why not take advantage? And ultimately for me, it's, it's a way to help educate people about IndyCar racing. You know, it's one of my favorite things is talking to people about IndyCar and letting them know the, the kind of, the, the inner, uh, inner secrets and, and let people know the finer points about it, because I think you create a more fans, but certainly more knowledgeable and more passionate fans when you do it. And, uh, working with NBC is going to give me that opportunity. And, you know, Diff's a good friend of mine, you know, Townsend and PT. I've banged wheels with those guys in the past. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun to work with the whole gang. Definitely Townsend. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Traded some paint and, uh, I'll be sure to, uh, <laughs> I'll be sure to not bias any of my, uh, any of my on air moments towards anybody that I'm sharing a podcast with. Uh, why? I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm obviously going to try to do that. No, that, but in all seriousness, I'm going to be needing like a lot of information out of you. I'm going to need to like pick your brain a lot and use you as my, my inner, my like a, a, a source close to the, close to the account. Guys, that's sorry. Sorry, fans. <laughs> I think the dogs are trying to tell us that uh, it's time to take them for a walk. Yeah, it so. might be that time. <laughs> um, I'm in, but uh, just how much are you getting paid? Oh, oh, it's all pro bono. <laughs> there's, oh, to see, well, Alex, then, there's fine. three There's three tiers of broadcast. <laughs> exactly. Tier you have to pay. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. Then you're going to be operating at a loss if you want information. Okay, how about I put it this way? Any piece of information that you give me that I put on air that the producers come to me and be like, James, that was really good. Where'd you get that from? I will give you a bonus. Deal. So you're incentivized to give me good information to impress my bosses at NBC. Deal. All right. Can I remain anonymous? Yeah, of course. No, no, I, 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 I <laughs> the, prefer An anonymous way. Napa driver. <laughs> I love how we're discussing the anonymous informant deal on a public broadcast. Yeah, very yeah, public. This is form. like if Deep Throat had a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why do I feel like why do I feel like the the higher ups at NBC are not listening to this and so they won't catch on to who's feeding me the information? Yeah, but the lower ups there are probably. That's true. And I'm also going to be shamelessly plugging it as often as I can. So I'll be drawing a little more attention to it. Oh, well, we've got a good system. You'll be anonymous ish. And speaking of the insider information that I plan on getting from you for the rest of the year, why don't we start quickly with the uh, open test at Coda? that uh, everybody participated in except me uh a couple weeks ago um in terms of in terms of what just well so i know it was not an ideal i mean just like you know so let's start with the aero screen i think that's obviously the hot topic of the day it wasn't an ideal right. weekend a couple weather issues but everybody finally got some running you know with the with the screen and in some inclement weather as well so kind of had the test go for you guys um <clears throat> In, in the couple hours that you can kind of gleam any type of information, I think it was it was good. It was fine. Um, the aero screen, I it, it's still tough to say, right? I mean, all initial impressions were were pretty positive, actually. I mean, I'm someone that's not shy about saying I wasn't a huge fan of it, um, and I kind of left there thinking, 
you know what, it's it's a lot better than I thought um, from from a lot of standpoints. The couple areas that I'm still concerned about are, are one, in the wet, it's, it's not great. Um, but having said that, it's not like we could back-to-back it, right? So I'm trying to remember when we drove in Barber in the wet last, you couldn't see either when you had no windscreen, right? So right. the fact that I couldn't see with the windscreen, I don't really know that it's any worse. So it's, it's hard to say, really. Um, so that's kind of the bottom of my list of concerns. A little bit higher up is is when the sun got low. The glare was was very substantial, um, and and that is a concern for the kind of twilight oval races that we have at, at Texas and I, I believe Richmond. Um, so I think that we're going to need to try and come up with something for that, whether it be a tinted tear off or just lowering the the kind of the strip a little yep. bit. Um, something from that standpoint, and then finally the the biggest concern is the heat. Because it was between 40 and 55 degrees for the whole test. And, like, it was hot. Like, it, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't unbearable by any stretch. But, like, for how cold it was, I had all the vents open and, like, should have been freezing. And I was not. So getting to St. Pete, um, where it's, A, the, the hardest race of the year, B, usually very, very hot and humid, um, I'm pretty worried about it. But... Again, I mean, I guess it's the same for everyone. So everyone's going to be struggling with it to, to various degrees. But I still think that there's some serious areas for improvement um, from the cooling standpoint. Um, other than that, in normal conditions, the visibility was great. Um, there was no distortion. Getting in and out was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And then um, in terms of it kind of being uh, a, a negative for car balance, like it it also wasn't that bad. Like I, I noticed a couple things that, you know, you could kind of tune your way out of, but ultimately it wasn't nearly as dramatic from that standpoint as, as I think people were assuming. So, um, I came out of there feeling a lot better about it than I did going in. Well, that's good. That means progress, right? And St. Pete will certainly be a big test with the heat and everything, but, uh, hopefully it's not an issue. And the thing is the challenge is there's not really a ton you can do like preparation wise to kind of get used to that kind of heat. You know, we don't, you and I both live in Indianapolis and train in Indianapolis. It's not, not exactly 80 and humid here for, you know, any kind of heat acclimation training. And, uh, I mean, it will be in July, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. So it'll be interesting to see, interesting to see, but Again, like you say, you're uh, you came out feeling better than you did going in, and that means that it's headed in the right direction. So, yep. I mean, yeah. I guess, yeah. That's, we'll go with that. That's <laughs> and yep. on that bombshell, uh, we head to St. Pete in a couple weeks for the first race, uh, which is going to be interesting. A lot new, a lot different, and uh, I'm excited. I mean, I'm crying on the inside because it's going to kick me in the nuts pretty hard when uh, everybody goes out for first practice and I do not. But I will be there supporting the series, supporting my friends, supporting my partners, and uh, yeah, having some fun with NBC. So it should be good. Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Thim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. 
we really need to get that changed to add producer Thim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that I mean Thim. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.